Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Coming off what has been the two busiest weeks of the NFL year, maybe you could make the argument the two busiest weeks of any NFL year in history, and I don't think that that's an overstatement, as you will see in a moment. We will today be joined by the former CEO of the Cleveland Browns, the former president of the Philadelphia Eagles, Joe Banner, as he breaks down the record-setting landmark $230 million fully guaranteed contract that the Cleveland Browns gave out to Deshaun Watson, despite any issues that still are in front of him with the 22 civil lawsuits and the discipline that may await him from the National Football League. Banner will have many thoughts on this as he once did the contract from Michael Vick coming out of prison. And he knows the thinking of the Browns organization as well as anybody. And when we look back on the last couple of weeks that I mentioned, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the onslaught of news, the amount of change was unprecedented. And here's what I'm talking about. If we go back to two weeks ago, Monday afternoon, March 7th, the NFL hands down a year-long suspension to Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley for betting on games, including games that included his own Atlanta Falcons team. And then on Tuesday, the very next day, the Seattle Seahawks trade Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos for a package of picks and players that include Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, all these first-round draft picks, second-round picks, and a quarterback that led Seattle to its only Super Bowl title gets sent to Denver, where the Broncos hope he becomes the answer that John Elway and Peyton Manning were. The next day, the Indianapolis Colts trade Carson Wentz one year after they trade for him to the Washington Commanders in a move that Washington used to try to short its position and left Indianapolis with yet a major hole at its quarterback position. The next day, when we think it might calm down, not quite. The Chicago Bears trade Khalil Mack, the pro Bowl pass rusher, to the Los Angeles Chargers to line up opposite Joey Bosa and give the Chargers another weapon in the AFC West that acquired Russell Wilson. On Friday, the grand jury declines to indict Deshaun Watson and issue criminal charges despite the fact that the 22 civil lawsuits go on. On Saturday, the Dallas Cowboys trade Amari Cooper to the Cleveland Browns for late-round picks, a swap of late-round picks. And the Browns get a new wide receiver, a new number one wide receiver, who we didn't realize at the time would loom rather large in Cleveland going forward. That was Saturday, March 12th. On Sunday, March 13th, a guy by the name of Tom Brady decides to come back, come out of retirement. And after he announces his retirement, the Vikings announced a newly restructured contract for Kirk Cousins, which was a total footnote and afterthought to everything that was going on that night with Tom Brady coming out of retirement, returning to Tampa, and giving the Buccaneers a chance to try to get back to the Super Bowl. On Monday, March 14th, the start of free agency, we see deals like Tom Brady keeping his center Ryan Jensen and losing his guard Alex Kappa. To the Cincinnati Bengals, we see the Browns officially release wide receiver Jarvis Landry. We see the Pittsburgh Steelers 
signed Mitch Trubisky. We see the Jacksonville Jaguars spend over $200 million on guaranteed money on all sorts of free agents to surround Trevor Lawrence with and his spending spree unlike any other in free agency. On Tuesday, the Green Bay Packers finally announced that Aaron Rodgers' three-year, $150 million contract has been signed. He's under contract. And later in the day, Randy Gregory switches commitments going from Dallas to Denver on a day that Tyrod Taylor also goes to the New York Giants as a backup. And that was Tuesday, March 15th, one day before the official start of the NFL New Year when moves are supposed to happen, which on Wednesday, March 16th, we only see Von Miller decide to go to the Buffalo Bills. Chandler Jones decide to go to the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders trade Yannick Ngakwe to the Indianapolis Colts for the former first-round pick Rocky Sin at cornerback. We see the Raiders release Carl Nassib, a pioneer in the National Football League, a player who still remains, as we tape this, on the street. And that was Wednesday. On Thursday, March 17th, as the moves continue to trickle in, notable trade that night, the Green Bay Packers send Devontae Adams to the Las Vegas Raiders for first and second round draft picks in this year's draft. Derek Carr now has Devontae Adams to go along with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Josh Jacobs. And here's something interesting about that. The Green Bay Packers internally discussed the idea of trying to trade for Darren Waller, but there were two problems with that. Number one, the Raiders never were willing to trade Darren Waller. Number two, you cannot trade a franchise player, which Devontae Adams was, for another player on a roster. It can only be traded for picks. So any hopes and thoughts that the Packers had of getting Darren Waller went out the window, and they got the first and second round draft picks as well that Thursday on March 17th. Friday, March 18th. The Cleveland Browns send five picks to the Houston Texans for Deshaun Watson, the new quarterback. They hand him a record-setting, unprecedented, $230 million fully guaranteed contract. And just when you think that things would be calm at that point in time, now that we're past the two weeks that we are on Saturday, March 19th, the Los Angeles Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs, give Matthew Stafford a brand-new contract extension that essentially – will enable him to finish his career in Los Angeles and guarantees him $135 million worth of money. And they trade one of his top wide receivers, Robert Woods, to Tennessee for a 2023 sixth-round draft pick. On Sunday, the NFL rested sort of, sort of, because that day the Falcons and Colts were agreeing to a trade that would send Matt Ryan to Indianapolis that would be announced on Monday after Matt Ryan agreed to the trade himself. And so we had a deal with Matt Ryan going to Indianapolis on Monday, March 21st, for a 2022 third-round draft pick. We had Marcus Mariota take Matt Ryan's spot in Atlanta on a two-year contract agreement. We had Jameis Winston go back to New Orleans on a two-year contract agreement. And lo and behold, we still have Baker Mayfield out there. Andy Dalton out there, the possibility of a Jimmy Garoppolo trade out there. And so we're not done yet. And every time I think that the NFL is done with big moves, that it's going to quiet down, I'm reminded time and time again, the NFL never stops. It is a reality show unlike any other. The drama 
the moves, the changes, they just keep coming. And multiple people across the league commented to me in recent days how they have never, ever seen anything like this, which we'll get into with Joe Banner. The amount of high-profile moves is off the charts, and they just keep coming. But the biggest move of them all, in hindsight, had to be Deshaun Watson facing the 22 civil suits, still signing a contract that will reverberate across the National Football League this and in many future seasons to come. This was a landmark contract in every sense of the word. There was 80 more guaranteed million dollars for Deshaun Watson than there was for Aaron Rodgers last week or Josh Allen when he signed his deal or even Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, a quarterback who did not play last year, who still must answer to 22 suits, signed the richest guaranteed contract in NFL history. And with that, we figured the man to address that and all the ramifications of that landmark contract would be and should be Joe Banner, the former CEO of the Cleveland Browns. And so we turned to Joe to get some of his insight into a deal of this magnitude. Look at you in the Schefter cave. Yeah, this is this is the back cave right now, Joe. That's the way it goes. We're kind of set up shop here and take the calls, do the information, do whatever it is that needs to be done to make sure that we try to stay up with things because it's flying right now, Joe. I've never seen it this crazy, although it's kind of fun, too. <laughs> you know, you say you've never seen it that crazy. I spoke to a number of personnel executives over the weekend who said they've never seen anything like this. What is it? What, what's going on here that all of a sudden our world's going nuts in the NFL? Because it's always busy this time of the year. But as they said it to me, it's more high profile player movement than ever before. Yeah, no, I don't think you could doubt that, can you? I mean, listen, we're quarterbacks really decide who's standing at the end of the year. We've seen all these quarterbacks move teams. So I remember, and it was, I think it was eight years ago now, I traded Trent Richardson, and I got asked a bunch of questions. In fact, you may have even asked me this. Do you think this is the beginning of us seeing a lot more trades of high-profile people? I'm not taking credit for what happened. I just think I was part of the evolution back then. There was no reason for this kind of movement to not be happening all along. It was just antiquated thinking, quite frankly. Now, the movement of quarterbacks shocks me. The increased movement of players and trades and these kinds of things doesn't surprise me at all. It seems like we've been on this path for a long time. And frankly, some of the teams that were kind of there first, like the Eagles, where I came from, I think were there when I was there. And Howie's certainly taken that to a whole nother level. I think they've had a competitive advantage by, by doing this. So what do you think is the reason that we're all of a sudden now seeing the quarterbacks, Joe? Well, you know, I really don't want to make a political, but I think the players realize the extent of the power they have and leverage they have is what's triggered this up to a higher level. And no one has more power or leverage than the quarterbacks. They affect the outcomes of the game, the quality of your team, the ability to plan long term, whether it's cap or quality of your roster. And we saw Matt Ryan. That's purely a long-term planning trade. The Falcons decided, you know, by the time we're good, he's probably not here anymore. Shouldn't we bite the bullet now and find a solution for the next decade as we move forward here? I mean, you know, some version of that. So I really think the root of this is the uh, instability, and I don't mean that as a negative word, that the increased leverage that the players realize they have and in some instances are willing to use has created kind of a different attitude in the front offices of the league where 
you know, these kind of moves, which we never saw before, are now more likely. Now, the other part of it, which is really kind of crazy, is the quarterbacks are playing so much longer. I mean, in a different decade, Matt Ryan would have retired by now. We wouldn't be talking about, you know, a trade of him. You know, Russell Wilson's 33 years old. Once upon a time, that was like, though, he's kind of winding down. And we're sitting there thinking he could play four, five, six more years and we wouldn't be shocked. So I think it's a change of the mindset in the front offices, the increased leverage the players have and the players playing longer. I think it's the combination of those three things. That's not the whole story. But I think those are the biggest answer to what caused something to, to change as dramatically as this reasonably quickly, even though it really started a decade ago. But it's really accelerated very dramatically in the last two to three years. I'm glad you're with the group of people that said to me that they've never seen anything like this, because, like I said, I've heard it enough times over the weekend. And interestingly enough, you are the former CEO of the Cleveland Browns, 2012-2013. Your Browns team made a move on a quarterback that, in my mind, pulled the biggest power play of all. Deshaun Watson, I think, as one NFL executive told me, broke the NFL and that in five to ten years, every NFL contract will wind up being guaranteed like the NBA. And if you remember, the NBA, CBA, doesn't call for contracts to be guaranteed. It's just the way that it evolved. And now, with Deshaun Watson going full guarantee on $230 million, there's a feeling across the league that that one contract is going to be the trigger point to other contracts all being guaranteed to every elite quarterback demanding and getting a no-trade clause like Deshaun Watson had, and to the power of the quarterbacks that you're referring to growing even more in future years. Yeah, I don't even consider this a question mark. I consider what you just said a fact. I just don't see any chance that it doesn't go in that direction. Now, listen, we've been getting a huge increase in the percentage of contracts guaranteed over the last few years, primarily by players doing shorter deals. This is the first time we've actually seen somebody accomplish this and do a lengthy deal. And now the players know that they have the leverage and the power to do this. So I've created disruption that will force the team to do some version of this. And there's no doubt. And this is what happens. It will start with the quarterbacks and it will start with the top tier quarterbacks. Then we'll expand to other quarterbacks. Then it's going to be, you know, Bosa. And then it's going to be whoever the next Khalil Mack is or the Aaron Donald. And it's going to come through the league. And that's why somebody's telling you it's going to take five or 10 years because you're not going to see this happen at all tiers, at all positions right away. You're going to see it start to expand at the quarterback position as soon as we see additional signings. Then it's going to expand to more quarterbacks and then the top players at the most important positions, which to me, offensive line, pass rushers, corners. Maybe some people put wide receiver in the group. I personally don't. So I don't think there's any question. What you said you're hearing is exactly what's going to happen. I think every owner in the league knows it now, and I think the league knows it now, and there's zero chance any of them are happy about it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. And the no trade clause empowers these quarterbacks and your former bosses in Cleveland, D and Jimmy Haslam, gave this contract out to Deshaun Watson, knowing the way they think, knowing the way that that organization operates, knowing everything that Deshaun has been through and what's in front of him. What was your reaction to that record deal? So I was surprised, you know, partially because he had virtually announced that Cleveland was out. (laughs) And I was really surprised when I saw the details. Now, there's a couple of really crucial things we still don't know about the contract. And maybe you don't. I don't. I don't. Maybe you do is what I meant to say. Um, there is no, there is a small chance that the criminal case is not over. It could be new evidence. There could be new women. The case only involved nine of the 22 people that are accused. I personally don't know and won't know until I see the contract. As you know, almost every contract in the NFL, doesn't matter what tier play you are, includes language that says, at any point during this contract, if you get suspended, all of the guarantees go away. Is that in this contract? I don't know. That's a huge question and will affect the question you're asking me about the future. I don't know a single contract in the NFL that doesn't have that in that. So does Deshaun Watson's new contract with Cleveland have that in it? I don't know. That's a huge question. Do they have reason to think he may not be suspended? So the level of risk they took, I think, connects directly to the question I just asked you. Is that language in this contract? Now, Maybe what they wrote in the contract, and if I was in their seats wanting to do this, what I would write in the contract to try to get him, uh, not happy about it, but to try to get him, it would say something like, the suspension leads to a loss of guarantees only on incidences that happen from today going forward, not from things that may have already taken place. That would give the Browns some protection and maybe give Watson comfort level that I know I can control my own behavior. Nothing's going to happen in the future. I don't mind that. But if the traditional language is in there that we see, this is all contracts in the NFL. I personally have not seen one that doesn't have this language in it. So it's not like it's an exception. It's the rule. You know, what does that mean? Um, Hmm. And then, you know, how does the, uh, some people are saying they put a low contract in the first year because they want to keep some cap room to improve the team. Well, that doesn't make sense to me if he's going to get suspended for four, six, eight, ten games. The first year is going to be tough, even if he proves out to be a phenomenal signing over the next five years. I'd rather have extra cap room in year two, three, four, five. They didn't write the contract that way. They wrote the contract so they have the most cap flexibility in year one, and then they have more challenge cap situations in year two, three, and four, theoretically, when he won't be suspended. So I'm really anxious to see the detail in the language around the guarantee and around the consequences any suspension has on those guarantees, that's already a huge risk as it's written from what we know. But that language is really crucial to making a really, you know, honest, objective evaluation of the risk that they took doing this. Um, So I'm really curious to see that. And to me, it has a huge impact on evaluating whether they took a very large risk or in my mind, a not wise risk. Um, if they don't have any language in there protecting anything in the guarantee, no matter what he does going forward, I, cu- I couldn't have done that. I'm not even sure I could have done what they did, but I definitely could not do that. I mean, to me, that crosses a line. You know, every decision team makes is a, is a juggling of the risk reward. 
you know, obviously the 40th player risk reward evaluation is a lot less important than the best player on your team. For me, I would be crossing it to too great a risk versus the reward if I truly have a $230 million guarantee with no protection, even in the case of a suspension. You know what's interesting, Joe? Somebody said to me, how come Deshaun, who we all presumed wanted to play in the South, be it Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, how come he didn't go back to one of those teams to ask them if they were interested in matching the contract that Cleveland gave him? Right. And I don't know if we're sure they didn't. I don't know that they did. I don't think they did. Okay. So I don't know that, but I don't think they did. I would be surprised if there's any, this is pure conjecture. I'd be surprised if there's any other team that under the circumstances would have given him this kind of a fully guaranteed contract. And for two reasons. One is it is a huge risk for your team. And two, frankly, it's, it's uh, something that most owners, you could argue whether it's right or wrong, do not think is in the best interest of the league. There are a lot of owners, and, and listen, again, you can disagree with it, but the reasoning isn't completely ridiculous. Think that non-guaranteed contracts guarantee that every player plays his ass off every snap of every game. Yeah. And that's great for the game. It's great for the fans. It's great for the players that really care. And that's the, I don't want to say the only, but it's a primary reason they've cared about guaranteed contracts. You're right. That's gone. So is it, that's something that I think that if you look at the, like the Saints and Falcons type of teams, they would have been really reluctant to do that, knowing the broadness of the implications to the league going forward. I'm not sure that Cleveland would have that same sympathy versus focusing on what makes us the best we can be. Is that because of a function of everything that franchise has been through, the inability to land a quarterback, the struggles, the lack of division titles, they haven't won a Cleveland, they haven't won a division title since 1989, the longest drought in the NFL. Is all that going to this decision and make Deshaun Watson in his situation with everything in front of him the benefactor of all the sadness in Cleveland? I, I, my answer is absolutely yes. Listen, I'll make a tiny analogy from personal experience. When I was at the Eagles, we went to three straight championship games. We were not known for spending a ton of money or signing big name free agents. We got so impatient and so frustrated that in one year we signed or traded for Terrell Owens and Javon Curse. I think this is just a larger version of a team that's experienced a tremendous amount of frustration and was willing to go above and beyond what they maybe would have done under other circumstances to solve a problem that that city, that franchise has had for almost 25 years. Guess what? And by the way, as you're answering that question, I get a text back mm -hmm. on the answer to the guarantee language. And I will read it to you as we do this podcast right here. It says, we have not officially seen the language yet, but we've been told that the current situations do not trigger a default. Another person said the club confirmed as much to him. Certainly, he will miss game checks if suspended, but the guarantees apparently stay in place. Yeah, that, that as I say, and I'm trying to be fair. don't want to be accused of like having hard feelings about the Browns. I'm trying to be objective and fair. I mean, for me personally, that puts us into just too high a risk to take. I mean, we know what he's been accused of. We know the status of the legal case. We really don't know what's going to happen in the future. To take a $230 million risk, if in fact, and I still got to say if, even though I hear you, there is not protection in the event of a suspension, boy, that, that would just be too scary for me. That's precedent setting again, right? 
that's another precedent set. That's another precedent set. I have never seen, and I'm talking about the, the, the highest character guy in the whole league gets the contract language that says, if you ever get suspended, you know, some teams now, and you've, you've probably seen a couple of instances of this because they've, they've been a little bit public. Some, some teams are looking for uh, this default of the guarantee language to kick in, even for players fines, not just suspension. Right. So if the Browns actually gave this up, even in the event of a suspension, especially if it's going forward as well as looking back, that is just a massive risk based on the accusations that are out there. That, that's just, as I say, for me, we're all different. We all get a different aptitude for risk. That would just push it into a place that I would just not be comfortable going. So they were that desperate for a great quarterback. Yeah, listen, you could, you, I'm sure they're, they're fans that are comfortable with proceeding with a player that has at least the accusations out there that he has. Um, won't like the word desperate, but it certainly reflects a team that is um, kind of willing to do whatever it takes to win. And you can take that as a positive or a negative, uh, even more so than most, if not all other teams in the league at this point in time. And Joe, what kind of effect do you think Deshaun will have on Cleveland in its race and drive and desire and wish uh, to become a perpetual playoff team from a football standpoint? Right. If we stay pure football, this is a great move. I honestly think that people talking to Sean top five is not a speculation, not a theory. He's top five quarterback. And I've been saying for a while now, the teams are going to really excel in the league are the ones that find mobile quarterbacks. who are also really good throwers of the ball. Right now we have some of both. We don't have a lot of guys. We have a couple of guys, but we don't have a lot of guys that are good at both. They can really change the whole game with, the way they can run the ball, their mobility in the pocket, out of the pocket, scrambling, whatever it is, and they're good throwers of the football. And I think he's that. So if we're talking football-wise and you're looking at the, how tough it's going to be to advance in the AFC, I think it took a move like this to, for them to be able to honestly and objectively look at themselves as a Super Bowl contender going forward and not be deceiving themselves, not have wishful thinking but legitimate look, looking at the roster. Now, there are going to be some cap challenges going forward, which is why I talked earlier about, for me, it was unusual that they reduced the cap charge in year one. I would have wanted a heavy cap charge in year one and then as much flexibility as I could possibly have to build out the rest of the roster. He has two through five. It appears they chose a different path. But this is a phenomenal signing and will affect the outcome of who's standing in the final four, the final eight, maybe even the final one over the next five years in a meaningful way, in my opinion. Unbelievable. Anything else you want to add on to the Deshaun Watson acquisition that I didn't ask you, Joe? No, I, listen, I, I don't want to just gloss over the character part of this and, and yeah. the proper appreciation for the women who have come forward, in my mind, had the courage, uh, hopefully, honestly, to come forward and make these accusations. It's not easy to do. We've all got mothers, sisters, wives. You know, I have some real compassion for them. And for me, that would have been a huge part of this decision. The Browns seem to get comfortable with that. Um, I would have struggled with that, but I do believe in second chances. If he could have convinced me that I didn't need to worry about things happening going forward and he understood and was repentant about whatever it is that did happen, I, I would have been open to talking to him and understanding it. But that would have been a steep hill. I mean, we're talking 22 accusations. We're not talking about a couple. So I don't want to just skip over that part of the story. Um, and it, And I think most of the teams that had some interest in him, this was probably a bigger factor than it looks like it was to the Browns when we see the contract they were willing to do. 
Did it not look like it was much of a factor? Again, they didn't seem to reach out to the attorney of the woman. They said that they were sufficiently satisfied, but yet they didn't have contact with any of the woman or the attorney. Right. How do you reconcile those two positions? Yeah, I don't think you can. I mean, I, I think they got to the point where they were comfortable with the risk as opposed to doing something that was so thorough we can be sure about what's going to happen. I mean, listen, what happened last Friday with the criminal case was consequential, but it wasn't determinative for me. Mm -hmm. It didn't prove he was innocent or these things didn't happen. It just proved that in that case, in that grand jury, and my understanding is only one of the women was allowed to testify, even though there were nine women who were part of the complaint. I, I mean, I, I personally would need to know more to get comfortable. So I think the answer is they set the bar lower than I would have. And I think most teams in the NFL would have. But time will tell. They may have been right about that. I hope they didn't do it without compassion. And I hope they're not being uh, unsympathetic to the rest of the story and what may have happened here. Um, and I certainly, as I said, think from a football perspective, it's a game-changing decision in terms of their ability to overcome the quality of the teams in the AFC in the next five years. Um, but I don't think we should be talking about it and not at least including some discussion of the other side of, of the story and the other yeah. people that are affected by all of this. Which it's a big part of it. And you've heard from Browns fans who have a hard time cheering for somebody in that particular position, despite the fact that they love their football team and now be rooting for him. And so it brings about a lot of different emotions from a lot of different people. Not that we need to be convinced, but the, the fanaticism of fans we've seen in this. I mean, women in the crowd, when Ray Rice came back to the Ravens, cheered after we'd seen the video. Mm -hmm. So if anybody needed proof as to just how powerful <laughs> the connection and the power of the NFL in terms of the emotional grab it has on people, just think about those examples. I mean, I believe those fans in Cleveland, for the most part, will end up rooting for the team and rooting for Deshaun because that's what we've seen happen. Um, it's a real interesting just kind of sociological look at our society and the NFL and where we are, you know, in this day and age and what these kind of events. And this isn't the only one, although it does seem to me to be more compelling and bigger than most. Um, what different reactions they brought out in different cities and how it's changed over time, too, by the way. When we first signed Michael Vick in, Cleveland, we, in uh, Philly, we got killed. But a month later, and for the rest of the time he was in Philly, nobody talked about it. So, what did, you, what did you learn from that that you would tell Cleveland if the lessons are even applicable from one player and one franchise to another? Well, I hate what I would say, but here's my honest answer. I would say if you're willing to take the risk on the contract, the truth is the PR will be terrible for a short time and then it will go away and you're left with a player that can change your performance on the field for the next five years in a very significant way. You, you got to just kind of duck, <laughs> take the hits, and then know at some point it will calm down and then you've got the benefits of the quality of the player. I mean, I don't like saying that personally. That's not my view. That's not my politics. But if That's you how football teams think. That's that's how they think. And, you know, I did it myself. Now, we had a lot more information and he paid a price and he admitted it. A lot of differences in my mind between Vic and Watson. But if we talk about the teams or we talk about the fans, the reality is what they really care about is you're winning. And there will be some people who hold on to this and won't root for them again, no matter how the past was. But for the most part, they'll go through a period here that will be very difficult and uncomfortable and it will pass. And then they get the benefit of the player and what he brings to the team. And this is why I wanted to turn to you today, 
because you were with the Eagles when you brought in Michael Vick. You were the former CEO of the Cleveland Browns. You would understand what a move like this means to a particular franchise and what the significance is as it pertains to future people in the NFL and the precedent it might set. And oh, by the way, I should say to the person that texted me back, I said, that's precedent setting the language that we do think he has, but don't know for sure, but the language we think he has. And the person said, yes, five years fully guaranteed is basically what Kirk Cousins got if you include his two franchise years. Yeah. And remember, by taking the doing it that way, he was still taking some risk for at least injury while he was on those tags. As we understand the Watson contract, that's not the case. The guarantees cover injury. And it sounds like they also carry cover suspension. So he's got a true, not he's got a better guarantee than Cousins, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. I'm giving the agent a lot of credit, but he's got something that we've never seen. A fully guaranteed contract of that length covering everything, including suspension. Never happened before. And just the start of what we're probably going to be seeing in the future. Uh, again, I think that's fact as opposed to conjecture. Joe, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. I figured you'd have some thoughts on this. So I return to you and I appreciate your time and your insight. Uh, it's always great being with you and enjoyed the conversation as well. And that's why we turned to Joe Banner because he views these contracts and these moves in a way that's different than me, you, or the common football fan. He's had experience doing these deals. He knows what goes into these decisions. And we thought his insights into the mindset of the Cleveland Browns would be particularly pertinent to what we've just witnessed over the last few days in Cleveland and across the National Football League. And also, over the weekend, we lost a great man. The former ESPN reporter, John Clayton, lost his life at the age of 67. And there were many things that I admired about John, not the least of which was his football reporting skills, a Hall of Fame reporter. But I don't know how many people realize this. He and his wife, Pat, had a special relationship. His wife, Pat, was diagnosed in recent years with multiple sclerosis he was her caretaker. He was her rock. He took care of her. And John Clayton was the guy that you thought he was. He honestly cared about nothing other than his beloved wife, Pat, and the sport of football. Two things. Didn't care about much else in life. Those were the two things that mattered to him. Those were the two things that he loved. And John Clayton was one of the pioneers in football reporting, following the lines of Will McDonough, and Chris Mortensen, and Peter King, and Len Pascarelli, and some of the great reporters of yesteryear. John Clayton was one of them. He will always be missed. And I remember back in 1995, January of 95, I was covering the Denver Broncos for the Rocky Mountain News. We were tracking Mike Shanahan coming to Denver. The Seattle Seahawks, who John covered, had an opening of their own, and he was tracking Dennis Erickson, a former Miami head coach, and we met together in Santa Clara at the East-West Shrine game, I think it was. And I remember getting off the plane. He met me at the airport. We spent the night hunting down Dennis Erickson, sitting with him in the lobby of the hotel. And I remember when John Clayton was there to greet me back in 1995, when I would have been 29 years old. It was incredibly intimidating to me, impressive to me that he would take the time and the energy to spend the time together that we did. And we spent a lot of time together. And he was a great man. 
He was respected by many, and he will be missed by all. Rest in peace, the great John Clayton. All right, before I let you go, I wanted to tell you about the first draft podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates. This pod is keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL draft and is now twice a week, every Monday and Thursday. Also, check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. All right, I want to thank Joe Banner for his time and his insights today. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, her helper, Sarah Abbott, for helping me assemble some of the facts and information that have unfolded over the last couple of weeks, because frankly, it was so much that I couldn't even remember all of it that had happened. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back in this spot, reviewing the latest comings and goings of free agency, the National Football League, and everything that happens in the greatest reality show that there is. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe.